Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey guys, good morning, welcome to the Vineyard. Hey, we're going to start a new series here at the Vineyard for the next three weeks. We're going to do three weeks in Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're not going to go verse by verse, we're just going to sort of skip like a stone, and basically what we're going to do is we're going to take first two chapters today, but we're mostly just going to settle into two verses. But we're just going to take that big chunk, and then uh, we're going to take another chapter next week, and then week three, we're going to take two more chapters, something like that, and uh, just sort of skip like a rock across the surface of this. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to read to you a few verses out of Galatians chapter two, and then we'll try to go back, build some context, and then come back to it. Is that an okay thing? Okay, that's what we're going to do. Galatians chapter two, let's say verse 15. I realize this is going to make like zero sense. We're just jumping right in the middle. Sometimes that's what you do. This is what Paul says. He says, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right, by, right, made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we obey the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Ever. Okay? But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? No, that's not how it works. Rather, I'm a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. Can't go back. That's what he's saying. These are today's verses. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died of the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I could live for God. Here's our verse for today. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So that I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Great verse. You want to you memorize a verse? Here's a great one. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Like if you didn't have anything but that, you'd be okay. All right. We have to do some context because I realize I read you guys a passage that makes very little sense. And here's the thing. There's quite a bit of context. Uh, but first we need to do a little poll. Can we do some polling? Can I talk to you about pizza for a minute? Uh, Everybody in here likes pizza, right? You ever met that weirdo who didn't like pizza? What a wacko. Okay. Uh, When it comes to pizza, when it comes to pizza, uh, who in here is more of a a New York-style pizza person? Do you guys even know what I'm talking about right now? I hope you do. You know, like... Big, pieces, thin, thin, 
you need to fold it, right? You got you to gotta take it by the edges and you fold it up and, and you let the grease run down your arm. And if there's no grease, it's not really New York style pizza, right? Okay, okay, so New York style pizza, people, go ahead and put your hand up. Why are you guys so ashamed and, and afraid? There you go. All right, there you go. All right. Now, there's another kind of person, um, the Chicago style deep dish people. people. Who are those people? Is, is that pizza? You know, Ray's got both hands up. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, so it looks like we're kind of split 50-50, but, but how, many of you, how many of you are aware of the fact that you're actually both wrong? Because when it comes to pizza, it's neither New York nor Chicago. It's Italy. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you flipping kidding me? Several years ago, Heather and I, Heather and I went to, uh, we were in Atlanta for a thing. I don't even know what we were doing. And Heather's a researcher kind of person. And I'm like, babe, I want pizza. And she's like, well, I'll, I'll find us the best pizza. And so she gets on the internet and starts digging. And then she makes a few calls to Atlanta people. And they were like, well, you know, there's this place you should go to. It's owned by two Italian brothers. And they have three big ovens that they flew from Italy. They were these big, like, glazed green ovens. And um, all the ingredients are imported from Italy. So all the flour, all the cheese, all the tomatoes. And the ovens are like 750,000 degrees. And they cook your pizza in about a half a second. And they, they, blast, they blast Pavarotti, like, at 110 decibels. And they sing, and it's, it's chaos. Like, it's just absolute chaos, right? But we went in there, and I'm telling you, it's the best pizza I ever had, you know? So there is something that's better than New York. There is something that's better than Chicago. And it's like, just let the Italians do what the Italians do. Yeah. Okay. I guess all I'm trying to get at is, it's really easy to have all kinds of dumb opinions about stuff, isn't it? Like, we got opinions about everything, and that's okay. But how many of you have ever noticed that once you have an opinion about something, then you tend to judge everything else based upon your own collective experience, right? So all the New York-style people, they, they tend to judge the Chicago people based upon New York rules. That's what happens. And the Midwesterners are no better, right? All the Chicago deep-dish people, they end, up, they end up judging all the New York-style pizza people based upon their own experience and rules. I hope you realize I'm being silly. But at the same time, this, this stuff gets pretty serious because human beings have a tendency for being tribal. And that can be fine so long as we're in our own tribe. But as soon as we venture out beyond our own native territory, then it starts getting difficult. And that's exactly what's going on here in Galatians. That is exactly what's going on. Paul's writing to a church that's experiencing difficulty. By the way, that's something that comes up over and over again in Paul's letters, is that he's writing to churches that are in trouble, which, as a pastor, that makes me, I, I get a lot of comfort in that. It's great to know that the Apostle Paul had trouble with his churches. You know? I just do. I, just, I take great comfort in that. Um, it's great to know that we're not alone in that. Uh, sometimes, sometimes trouble is a sign of life. It's a weird sign of life, but sometimes trouble is a sign of life. Uh, one of my own friends once told me that conflict is sometimes the price of community. Yeah, it's actually true. So be it. Now, here's the thing. No sane person goes and looks for conflict, right? And no sane person is looking to stir up drama. But 
But sometimes we have to deal with reality so that we can get a taste of the precious fruit of the Spirit called peace. And that's what was going on in Paul's church in Galatia. So, so here's, here's what's going on when we read this letter. Paul came in to this territory called Galatia, and he preached the gospel. And he planted a church or two. We don't know how many. He planted some churches, probably several. And then he left, and he went to another region, and he continued to plant more churches. But one of the things that we don't get, and it's hard for us to get it unless we like write it at the top of every page in our Bible, one of the things that we don't get is the Jewishness of Paul, and we don't get the Jewishness of Jesus or Peter or any of the other first disciples, and we also don't get the Gentileness of some of their audiences. We don't, it's just not there for us, you know, it's just a different context. And so we don't hear, we don't hear Paul's Gentile, Jewishness, and we don't really hear the Gentiles' um, flavor that's coming out of Galatians. We don't, we don't hear or sense that divide, but it's really there, and it's a big, big deal. Uh, and here's why it's a big deal. For starters, uh, like the gospel was carried through the Jewish people, like it was a promise made to Abraham who was a nobody, but God made him a somebody. Like, and, and that became the Hebrew people, and that's where this whole thing started. That's where you and I are looking back towards. And so it starts there, and it just gets carried forward. And then in Jesus, what started with one person has now been declared to the whole world. And by the way, that was the promise given to Abraham anyway. I'm going to bless you, and then I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And then that promise gets fulfilled in Jesus. And so everything that was promised to Abraham, it gets multiplied to the whole world, meaning non-Jews and Jews alike, through the Son of God. But then after Paul planted the church, it appears that other people came in and began to modify his message. Now, they still preached Jesus. It had a lot of the main components, but there were a few alterations. And it seems, it seems that some of the other people who came in behind Paul were saying that in order to be a Christian, if you were a Gentile, you would need to adhere to certain aspects of the Jewish law. So it would work like this. Well, if you're going to be a Christian, you kind of have to be converted to Judaism, and then you live out your Christian faith in a Jewish way, even if that's not your history or your family. Does that make sense? And Paul comes in and goes, what is happening here? Okay, I get it. Some of you guys are glazing over. <coughs> Hang with me. Okay, we're almost there. Here's, here's, the center. here's the center of the Jewish law that was trying to be reapplied to all these Gentiles. The center of the argument or the dispute was circumcision. Woo! <laughs> yeah! Yeah, circumcision was the thing out of the law that was the sticking point. And, 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 and it was clear for a couple reasons. Um, there's a lot of Jewish law. But sometimes it's, it would be easy to hang your hat on something like circumcision because, well, it's so exact, you know? Yeah, let me put it this way. It's really hard to tell if somebody's keeping the kosher eating laws, Right? You could be like, are you kosher? Yeah, I'm kosher. Go home and have bacon, right? Close the door. Nobody knows. Uh, it's hard to know if somebody's tithing. Can I tell you something? Uh, Andrew and I don't know if somebody's tithing here. 
I look at the giving records once a year. Uh, I see who gives and who doesn't. You know what? I still don't know who tithes. You know, just because somebody gives a lot of money, it doesn't mean they're tithing. Maybe they're giving 1% of way more than we thought they had, right? It's hard to tell. Do I judge people? No, don't. Why? Because you can't. You just literally don't know. It's hard to tell if somebody's keeping the kosher eating rules. It's hard to tell if somebody's tithing. You know what else it's hard to know? It's hard to know if somebody's keeping the Sabbath just right. Because I'm not at your house. You know, you might keep the Sabbath for a little bit around me, but maybe when you get home, you like start playing badminton in the backyard and break all the rules. <laughs> but, but, the thing about, but the thing about circumcision is this. It's cut and dry. Come on, God, I had to. <laughs> and so because of, this because of this, the troublemakers had ammo. And here's what they were saying about Paul. They were saying, hey, you're not making the Gentiles keep the circumcision rules. And the reason you're not doing that, a couple reasons. Number one, you're not, an, you're not a real apostle. You, you didn't really get the message. You're not really one who sent. You're just out there altering the message. You know, all the other apostles, they were circumcised. All the other guys, they were following these kinds of rules. And now here you are. You're some like upstart. You're not a real apostle. And so this is why in the first two chapters of Galatians, if you read it, and I hope you do, Paul begins with, hey, bro, I'm the real deal. And by the way, I didn't get this message from the apostles. I didn't learn it from Peter. And I didn't get it from James. I got it from Jesus. They didn't teach me. I got it from the guy they got it from. So that's what this is about, right? And then the other thing they say most likely, listen, we're listening from only one side of the argument, right? But one of the things that's sort of implied is not only is Paul not an apostle, but it's that Paul's altering the message to the Gentiles to make it easier on them so that they'll come in and be believers in Jesus, right? So if you show up to people who are not Jews, who do not have a history of circumcision, you would maybe want to alter that rule for them because it would just make it easier relationally with you. And then we could just move on and, and just sort of like not look at the things that are, are difficult because that would be difficult. And that's one of the things that was said about him. And Paul's like, no, I'm not making them adhere to that rule because that's not even what's important. Right? This is why Paul goes through the trouble of outlining his credentials. He didn't get the message from Peter and James. He got it from Jesus. And then this is also why in Galatians it says that Paul said, he tells these stories, right? He says, listen, I made two trips to hang out with the pillars. I made two trips. I went back to Jerusalem, the home, motherland, the mothership twice. And on both occasions, I told them the gospel I was, that I was preaching, and they added nothing to it. They had no problems with it. They said only one thing. Paul, why don't you and Barnabas remember the poor? Paul says, happy to do it. This is also why Paul told the story of how he opposed Peter over these very issues. So in chapter 2, Paul tells this really weird story. And here's basically what happened. Peter, you guys remember Peter, right? Walks on water, denies Jesus, fisherman guy. He was a Jew as well. Anyway, Paul shows up one day. And everybody's together. And Peter, who was a Jew, but who had been hanging out with the Gentiles during dinner, meaning sitting at their table, when he had been sitting with them, all of a sudden, some other men from James, read for that, the half-brother of Jesus, 
And James lived in Jerusalem, and he was basically the head of the church, okay? Read for that Jewish guy, a lot of power, a lot of respect. When some men from James came, Peter got up and wouldn't sit with the Gentiles anymore, and he only hung out with the Jews. And apparently, right in the middle of dinner, Paul jumps up and says, listen, homeboy, this is not okay. What's, what's the matter? When the, when the James guys are not around, you're happy to live like a Gentile. But when they're here, all of a sudden, you want to keep the kosher laws, and you want to hang out with only your people, and this is not the gospel. So Paul tells this story. Why is he telling it? Because this is the controversy that stirred up in the church. And some of you are thinking, well, what does this have to do with us? Right? What does this have to do with us? Well, here's what it has to do with us. Uh, even today, even today, in modern America, sometimes we separate and divide ourselves based upon codes that have nothing to do with the things that Jesus taught. And these are not small details, but they go to the heart of the gospel. And here's what Paul says. You cannot be made right with God by trusting in the rules. You cannot be made right by keeping the rules. You cannot be made right by your ability to interpret the rules. You can't even be made right by keeping, knowing, or interpreting the rules, even the ones, the rules, even the rules that God gave. It'll never do. Instead, God is making a whole new family, and the foundation is not in keeping the law. Instead, it's trusting the one who kept the law. That's way different. By the way, this is good news. It's not New York City pizza or Chicago deep dish. It's the bread that came down from heaven. Totally different. So there's four things I want you to grab hold of this morning. Why don't we put up Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? Because this is, this is for us. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Four things I want you to grab hold of this morning. Number one, our old life is dead. Can somebody say dead? Dead. dead. Thank you. Paul says his old life was crucified with Jesus. And by the way, this is classic Pauline theology, and I want you to get it because it needs to be the way that we orient ourselves as well. This is classic Pauline theology. Notice that he says, my old self has been already crucified with Jesus. Already crucified. What does this mean? This is classic Pauline theology. What he's getting at is this. Everything that happened to Jesus has already happened to me somehow. Jesus is dead. I died. Jesus has been raised. I've been raised. Everything that happened to the Son of God has happened to me. You got to know that, and you got to believe that. You got to trust that. Something has happened in the world, and it's changed everything. And this means that all the old systems are irrelevant. All the old ways are outdated, and we're thankful for them. You know what? We don't go around burning down the old ways. We're thankful for them. Why? Because they got us here. But we have to have a new way to proceed. And this means letting go of all of our past identifiers that we used to cling to. And so in Paul's day, it's not Jewishness or law observance that gets you in with God. It's trusting in Jesus that gets you in. But maybe in our days, it, it looks a little more like this. It is not Republican politics that makes you a, a Jesus person. And just so that we can be fair, it is not democratic politics that makes you a Jesus person. 
And so we can be really fair. It is not even libertarian politics that make you a Jesus person. It is not poverty that makes you a Jesus person. It is not wealth. It is not maleness or femaleness or anything else that's going to be useful going forward. None of those things are going to be useful going forward. The only stuff that's going to be useful going forward is the stuff that came out of the grave, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Everything else got laid in the grave. All the other stuff. So all the other reasons why church people fight, all the other reasons why denominations shoot bows and arrows against each other, and all the other things that church movements as a whole shoot at non-believers and say, these are the things that are so, so important that make you in, you know? These are the things, you know? You can't believe this stuff about science and be in. Well, I'm just telling you, that's all the dead stuff that God laid in the grave because it is useless. It is useless and it will not save you. When Christ died, the whole world died, and if goodness was laid low, so was everything else. So we're letting go. What does it mean to be a Jesus person or a Christian? It means you've got to let go of some stuff. Might even have to let go of some of your favorite stuff. Think on this. You might have to let go of some of your favorite stuff because God's making a new family, and it's based upon trust in his son. That's the only thing. Might have to let go of some other stuff. So being a believer means letting go of our past. And some of us are like, yeah, it makes sense. Letting go of the bad stuff, Adam. You know, letting go of sin, failure. Yeah, all of that. It also means this, letting go of some of the good stuff. Even the stuff that had the appearance of being right. Because God is building a brand new family. And if you're holding on to some other identity, you're raising up a dead man. Okay. Number one. My whole life is dead. Number two, this is, where the new, this is where the good news happens. Number two, new life is breaking in. My old life is dead, but new life is breaking in. Look at what Paul says there. He says, old self has been crucified. It's no longer I live, but who lives in me? Christ. What does this mean? It means that new life is breaking in. See, we're letting go of an old order because the new thing is breaking in. I've been crucified and the crucified and resurrected Jesus lives in me right now. Can I tell you something? Nobody here, nobody here is hopeless. Even if you feel hopeless, you're actually not hopeless. Right now, Christ is alive in us. And it doesn't always feel that way. And it isn't always clear. After all, Paul was oftentimes beaten, shipwrecked, and run out of town. But there isn't a circumstance that can shut down the yeast that's alive within us. Okay? So here's, the, here's what I'm trying to say here. New life is breaking in. If you can see it, great. If you can't, that's okay. If you feel it, great. If you can't, that's okay. Feelings deceive you all the time. Okay? We're not trusting in feelings. We're trusting in Jesus. All right? So we live by trusting in the Son of God. And we can do that right now. We can do that today. We can do that right now because he's the king of the world and he has no rival. And we're not laying hold of an idea. And here's the other thing I want to tell you. We're not laying hold of some sort of mythology. We're not laying hold of more of what we already had. We're not laying hold of God adding to the good things we already had. Nope, that's not what we're doing either. We're laying hold of a person and it's God in the flesh. Read for that. Reality lived out. Jesus is not an idea. He's not an invisible moral code. 
Jesus is God who's come in a person and he speaks peace to his descenders. That's what we're laying hold of. So I'm not giving up my past for an upgraded version of my past. I'm not giving up all the other ways for a slightly better one or an easier one. No, we're laying hold of Jesus. We're laying hold of Jesus. A couple questions for you this morning. What fault can you find in Jesus? Right? What fault can you find in him? And isn't he beautiful? Yeah. Number three. And this is all of us. This is what we're all going to do in the church. It's not like some of us have to let go of something and some of us have to lay hold of something. In the church, it's all of us are letting go and all of us are laying hold of something new. Just like the Jews couldn't put their law between Gentiles and Jesus, no one else can erect any other barrier between people and what God is, is giving. See, laying hold of Jesus, if you really do it, if you really start to trust him, it'll change you and it'll force you to lay your old life and ideals in the ground. I, I just want to make this abundantly clear this morning. You don't have to first be a Republican to lay hold of Jesus. And you don't have to first be a Democrat or wealthy or poor or anything else. In fact, all of those things will trip you up. All of those things will trip you up. God is holding out his son. And the real question at this point is, can you see him? See, here's the thing. And this is what Paul was getting at in a slightly different way. But it's, man, it's so current for us right now. We have sworn our allegiance to everything in the world other than God and his kingdom. And every time we do, we will miss out on the life that God is giving. This is, this is massive in the United States right now. Uh, this, this wave of like Christian nationalism is rampant and it is toxic and it is idolatry and it is antithetical to the way of the kingdom. We are letting go of every other thing and laying hold of Jesus. That is it. Number four, finally. All of this is laid on a foundation of love. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 20. I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. That's all of us. We do that. Look at the last little clause. Who loved me and gave himself for me. All of this is laid on a foundation of love. It's the real key of the entire first two chapters. It's the love of God. Here's what I've found in life. I've found that people who insist on the old rules, the old rules of politics or the old rules of business or any other thing, I've found that people who insist on the old rules, they've almost always lost sight of the love of God. And here's the other thing I want you to notice this morning. I want you to notice that the love of God is not an idea. In fact, one of the things you'll notice every time you read the New Testament, if you look really close, the writers of the New Testament never, ever present the love of God as an idea. The love of God is always concrete in the New Testament. And, and we see it again in this verse. Who loved me, and then how did God express his love? Giving himself. See, see Christian love is not an idea. Christian love is, is rooted in actual giving. God is is a giving God, and he gives to the whole world because of his great love. You know, that's, that's so 
massive for us. Like, like right now, it's really easy to be an internet Christian, you know? And here's what I mean by internet Christianity. You know, it's really easy to have like moral platitudes or like, or grand ideas about how the world should be. And so we'll just tweet those or we'll just Facebook those. You know, everybody should love everyone. Sin. I mean, I guess that post is slightly better than you're an idiot because of X, Y, Z. You know? But the idea, but the idea that we can live in a virtual world, and this is the temptation, and I, this is the reason I'm bringing it up. And by the way, I'm an internet person. I've got, like, phones and computers and social media. You know what I mean? Like, who are we kidding, right? But at the same time, the temptation with the virtual world is to make us believe that the real thing is an idea that we can post virtually and never really have to live out, right? But this is not the Christian idea. So the Christian idea is, is this. If it's real, it has, to, it has to be expressed in you. Like the theological word for that is incarnation. You have to, you have to incarnate, carne, flesh, carne asada. That's the right word, right? You know what I mean? Like you have to carne asada this thing. It has to be touchable, tasteable, and good, right? That's the Christian idea of love. So you can't just post something on Facebook and be in. Even if what you're posting is great, even if it inspires people, even if it inspires people, even if people are like, that's kind of good, I like it, click, made my Monday better, you know, great. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't find some sort of an expression in your actual life, then we're still not seeing it because the love of God is not a Facebook post. The love of God is he gives himself, gives himself. And in the story of Jesus, he doesn't give some of himself, he gives all of himself. The whole thing. And he doesn't give himself to good people. He gives himself to bad people. You know, he lets, he lets his enemies crucify him. And while he's hanging there in agony, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. It's an amazing story. Am I living that yet? No, I'm trying, though, man. Goodness gracious. Before I die, before I get to be 85, I want to be the sort of person who could be treated poorly and then say, well, they don't know what they're doing. You know? That's, that's it right there. And, and so if we're going to do this, we have to get rooted into the love of God. If we can see the love of God, if we can feel the love of God, if we can know the love of God, then we will be able to let go of our old life and lay hold of something new. So how do we lay hold of the love of God? Well, we just start waking up to the reality that it is actually laid hold of us. And right now, you and I, we have to know this. God's dis- disposition towards you is kindness and love. Okay, there's like, there's like 140 people in here, and there's probably 50 kids. More? There's like 187 kids over there. Okay? Uh, here's what I know. I know we got enough people here this morning. That there's probably one or two who are feeling like really guilty and ashamed, and maybe just because you had a crappy week or you did something bad, or even, even because you've lived in a really crummy manner for some, some years, and you're here, you're here, you know, because you're wanting to run away from it or whatever, but, but man, it's just so present in your life. Or, or some of you are here, and, and like you're a Christian, and you've heard the love of God, but man, you've never really felt it. And I just want you to know, whether you're, 
like an old timer, a new timer, whether you're good or whether you're bad, whether you've ever told the truth about your life or whether you've only lied about your life, you need to know that God's disposition towards you is love and kindness. Like, it, it just, it doesn't matter. Like, his disposition towards you is love and kindness. Think of the worst person you can think of right now. You know? Hopefully you're thinking of yourself, but in case you're not, think of the worst person you can think of right now, huh? Think of the worst person. Think of, like, someone who's, like, evil. Here's what's crazy. God's disposition towards that person is kindness and love. What? I mean, Paul says it in another letter. It's, it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. And by repentance, he doesn't mean like fall on the ground and cry about it. I mean, you can. But he, what he really means is stand up, turn around, and start thinking about your life in a completely new direction. You know the only thing that makes people change their mind? Love and kindness. That's it. And in the Christian story, it's not love and kindness typed out. It's love and kindness lived out. Yeah. Yeah, so right now, you got to know, no matter what's going on, what, you got to know that like God's disposition towards you is love and kindness. Wake up to that. Well, how do you wake up to it? You just wake up to it. You start, you start, you start believing it. You start living as though that's the way the universe was created. I want to talk to you just for a second about the universe. Um, it's kind of a big subject. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have to do this because it gets down to the roots of what we're trying to lay hold of right now, especially when it comes to the love of God. Like, how many of you know that, that God doesn't have any needs? Have you ever thought about this? Like, God doesn't have needs. And so if God doesn't have needs, that means the only thing he has is wants. Okay? And so what this means is, this means that the universe is, it is, it is, it has been shaped by the desire and the love and the want of God. There's nothing that exists in the universe because God needed it. Everything that exists in the universe is only because God wanted it, and that includes people. It is a, it is a desire-formed universe. It is a, it is a love-formed universe. It is, it, is, it, is, it is a curious, love, desire, uh, buoyant, joyful-formed universe. Now, why am I making a big deal of this? Because lots of us have ideas of, of human existence and the existence of the world that, 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 that doesn't fit into that category. You know, some of us have this idea that, well, God loves some of the world, or God loves certain parts of the universe, or God loves some people, but then some others he doesn't, you know, and that God gets pleasure out of, like, welcoming some and then kicking some out, or... You know, we get these ideas and it just militates against our ability to experience the love of God. Just start with this. The entire universe, including the planets, the stars, the things at the bottom of the ocean that no one will ever see, they all exist and they, are, they were created in the love of God and they are sustained in the love of God. They exist because he wanted them. It's a desire-formed universe. It is kindness that is holding this whole thing together. Not only that, but when you read the Gospels, here's what you find. You find that God would rather be killed by his enemies than kill them. That's an amazing thought. Jesus gets, puts on, Jesus gets put on the cross by his enemies, and he doesn't fight them. He doesn't resist them. That's another thought, isn't it? Mm -hmm. How many of you know that if Jesus really is the Son of God, he could have? Yeah, he could have. He didn't have to let those guys beat him up with a cat of nine tails. He didn't have to let those guys 
nail him to a cross. He didn't have to do any of that, especially towards his enemies. What is God like? Well, God's like Jesus. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3. God is exactly like Jesus. And Jesus is the sort of person who would rather be killed by his enemies than kill his enemies. Man, can you feel that? Can you feel that? I see, I feel that. When I start to meditate on that, I start to feel it. And then some of us might be thinking, well, what if I don't feel it? Like, what if I can sort of like intellectually understand something of the love of God, but I don't feel it? Well, that's okay. Feelings are nice, but they don't make something true. You realize that? Feelings don't make something true, and they don't invalidate something that's already true. Your feelings lie to you all the time. Feelings are great, but we're not basing our life, and we're not basing our faith on feelings. We're basing our trust in a person. Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the good news. This is the gospel of God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, so that I live in my earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. Read for that word trusting. Putting my allegiance in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. Amen, amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.